There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Hello there. My name's Osher Ginsberg, and you're here, and I'm really grateful that you're here. Thanks so much. This is a weekly show. It's a conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring, hopefully a show that'll leave you truly inspired as well. On this show, I want to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or have achieved something remarkable in their lives through their, sto- through their story, get inspired myself, hopefully inspire you as well. Today, you're going to get just that. You're going to get an insight It's what it takes to have a career making the biggest television on the planet. Today, I speak with renowned LA TV producer, Josh Silberman. He's on Twitter, at Josh Silberman, S-A-L-B-E-R-M-A-N. He went from the gross stunt tester on Fear Factor, where he had to eat everything that the contestants had to eat to test if it was gross enough, to producing some of the biggest TV shows in the world when... He shot The Deadliest Cats. He shot Ice Road Truckers. This guy is the hardest working man in show business. There's some inspiration on the way. Um, I promise you that. More about him in a moment. But if you hear anything that resonates with you, please tweet out a link to this show. Just click in the podcast that you're listening to. I know pretty much every single one of you listens on a mobile app. Um, Just hit share on whatever app that is and and share out a link to the show. That would do me a world of kindness. Um, the first anniversary of this show is coming up and I'm pretty sure I want to do a Q&A for that show where I'm the one answering the questions but you're asking them. So uh, I've rigged it up. If you want to ask a question, it's super easy. Go to osherginsberg.com. Just click send a voicemail. It's on the right-hand side of the page. And then just tell me who you are, where you're from and ask away. If I end up using your question on the show, I will send you something super special in the mail. You know that thing that is normally just bills? Well, I will send you a gift in the mail, no matter where in the world you live. Now, I know that I've got listeners in the US, I've got listeners in the UK, Brazil, France, Germany, the Netherlands. There's someone in Seoul, in South Korea who listens. Hello, send me a question. I really want to get your voice on the show. I want to get the voices of the people that listen on the show. So that'd be great. OsherGinsberg.com. Just click send me a voicemail. 
tell me who you are, where you're from, what do you want to know? And if you make it on the show, I'll send you something. Pretty simple. We've got a few weeks before we get there, but I'd like to start collecting them now. Um, checking in, I had a, I had a pretty good ride today. 100 k through the bush up at the Karingai National Park north of Sydney, which is glorious. Again, god damn, my brain was trying to convince me to quit pretty much, pretty much after 30 kilometers. My brain was trying to tell me to quit. And because my brain is what it is, I was getting this like persistent, invasive, like give up, go on, stop, stop now messages about, honestly, it was like once every eight to 10 seconds when it was on, it was quite intense, but it was on and off for about four hours. Um, Yeah. So today I decided that every time I thought about quitting, I'd instead take that as a sign that I was ready to push just a little bit harder. So every time my brain was trying to tell me, you're tired, mate, you didn't sleep enough, you haven't had enough, you haven't eaten enough, it's late, your headlights are running out of batteries, you should stop, you should stop. Whatever my brain was telling me, I took it as an opportunity to ask my body what it thought about that. And what do you know? I always had more in the tank. I always had more. As I'm going up the hills, I was able to just push harder. Now, I've heard from a competitive freediver the people that hold their breath uh, deep underwater, that uh, you feel the urge to breathe way before you need to breathe. So when you feel the urge to breathe and when you actually need to breathe are often minutes apart. So I figure that I just keep asking my body if I could pedal up another hill, even though I'm having this urge that I should stop. I'll just hang on a second. Do I really need to? And what do you know? Literally hundreds of times, I just pushed a little harder every time my brain tried to tell me to stop and every time my legs had more to give. So if you were bushwalking around sunset in the Karingai National Park and you heard a grown man whizzing by in a high-vis jersey just singing, fuck you, brain, I won, fuck you, brain, I won. Yeah, that was me crossing 100 kilometers today. Yeah. Good to know that my brain isn't always giving me the best options. Um, it's good to know that there's always other options. There's always more than just binary options, but uh, that's why I like riding. I like riding because I get to practice doing that. That and I get to eat a lot afterwards. That's also what I like. Um, this week, my guest is renowned TV producer, uh, Josh Silberman. He was the gross stunt tester on Fear Factor for many years, the guy who would help the executive producers figure out just how many cow eyeballs he could chew up and spit out to fill up a jar, the guy who would help them get the camera angle set before they sent the contestants in to jump into a bathtub full of rats. That was his job. He had to get in the bathtub. That's what he did for a living. He went on to be a producer, a shooter on two massive TV shows, battling never-ending seasickness on the deadliest catch and a narrow brush with death on ice road truckers. But now he's in development of his own shows, one of which he tells us all about. It's a fly-on-the-wall documentary series about news correspondents in war zones. Oh, that and he was probably the greatest contestant that ever won The Price is Right. I'll put a link up to that uh, video on the page of this show, but you just have to see it to believe it. If you've ever considered a career in media... Please, please listen to what Josh has to say. His method is a surefire way to success as far as I'm concerned. And he lays it out there pretty clearly for you. Settle in. You're about to hear some pretty amazing stories from wrangling the 26 most beautiful women in the world on Deal or No Deal. 
accidentally walking into a den of Russian mobsters or what it's like to have chronic seasickness for eight straight weeks, throwing up all day, every day, and yet still working. The guy's incredible. Follow him on Twitter. He's at Josh Silberman, S-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N. Send him a note. Tell him you heard him here. Even if you, Look, even if you don't want a, t- a career in television, whatever it is that you want to get paid to do, listen to this, follow his advice, things will happen for you. Enjoy this. An afternoon in the San Fernando Valley with Josh Silberman. Are we in, where are we? Are we in um, Sherman Oaks, North Hollywood? Where are we? Sherman Oaks. We're in Sherman Oaks, which is in the San Fernando Valley. It is. Here in Los Angeles, California. Which means if there's an earthquake, I'm screwed. Uh, worst, I, mate, if there's an earthquake where I am, I'm just going to fall into the sea <laughs> where I am. It's like total liquefaction. Like it's a total tsunami where I live out in Venice. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I love Venice, though. Yeah. Except for like the weirdos. It's Pardon? Great. Except for the weirdos, it's fantastic. Ah, yeah, but that's okay. That's what Venice 311 on Twitter's for. <laughs> I don't uh, even, I've never even seen it. Okay, so Venice 311 on Twitter is a, uh, uh, she's a woman who sits there and she just live tweets the police scanner. Oh, really? Yeah. It's really interesting because like when the chopper's overhead, you're like, why is that there? It's like a possible shooting on the corner of Navy and Oceanfront. Oh, oh. I might stay inside. <laughs> so it's a bit like that. There was a helicopter hovering over my house two nights ago and I was like, oh, shoot. Can I swear? I'm sorry. You can swear all you like. Yeah, I was like, oh, shit. Like, what's going on? Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to poke my head out the window. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, you see the spotlight, like, running around outside. And you're yeah. Like, they're providing support for the guys on the ground. Uh, or yeah. they're, like, have some guy running through the streets. That's what I mean, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, whenever you see them, there's probably two or three cars on the ground. So yeah. there's, there's cops down here. Yeah, so when you see that spotlight out your window. It's yeah, like, right. Um, hello, Josh Silberman. Hello. How do you do? I'm great. So here we are in your incredible house in... Uh, in the valley, uh, this mystical place that a lot of Angelinos tend to go, oh, sucked in, you moved to the valley. I'm like, fuck you. I lived in the valley and it was the best. It's great, except for it gets hot. I'm not used to it being so hot. But uh, I like it here. It's, it's great. It's unreal. And like all aspects of the television business happen over here. People think it's Hollywood. Nah, it's Burbank and Glendale and North yeah. Hollywood. Plus I can't afford a house on the other side of the hill, so... What's the other thing? Where, when we were shopping for a house, I don't live there anymore. I had to sell it. But when we were shopping for a house, we could live on that side of the hill and the house would be, you know, my neighbor's house would be as close to me from your way as we're sitting. So you can hear your neighbor's fart. You know, you're living in this tiny little canyon. Uh, you're on sewerage because there's no, 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 no you're on um, septic because there's no sewerage up there. So, or you could live 800 meters directly through the hill on the other side and have a 12,000 square foot lot. <laughs> yeah. For like another 20 minutes of traffic, it's worth it. Totally worth it. Totally, totally, totally worth it. So I'm going to have to keep picking up my phone because my notes are on here. And, and anyway, so no, I'm nice. really glad we can talk. We're met. This is the first time we've met. Yeah. But when I was interviewing Matt Kunitz, he's like, you got to talk to Josh. <laughs> Kunitz is great. He's like my agent. He's a, I don't know, he's always been there for me and my career. And without him, I would, who knows where I'd be. I'd probably be in a one bedroom apartment. So I owe a lot to him. I think uh, he's a fantastic guy. I want to talk to you a lot about your career because you are, for me, when I look at your career, when I look at who you are, you are, you're a real, just a workman, a workman when it comes to producing television. And you just, you seem to, you've always worked, which is in in a seasonal industry like ours, is difficult to do. 
yeah, I, I feel lucky. I feel lucky that I'm always working. And, um, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm from the Midwest. Like, I love it out there, and I love, you know, the people and the trees and the grass and that lifestyle. Um, so to be out in L.A., it's, um, it kind of goes against who I am. But um, I'm out here for a reason. I'm out here because I love working in TV, and I love this job. And I want to work as much as I can. And plus, I, you know, I love hardworking. You know, like, deadliest catch working 36-hour shifts is great, you know? I want to talk to you about that because you're a man behind shows that many Australians have seen and love. Like you, you made Deadliest Catch, you made Ice Road Truckers, you made for a large part the most extreme season of Fear Factor ever. Um, there's a lot of to talk to you about, about the glamour of television um, or the supposed glamour of television. I'm pretty sure I'm not working the glamorous side of television except but, for Deal or No Deal. Well, we'll get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But was it... Was it always television for you? Um, no, let me shut the dryer off. Do whatever you want to do, man. It's your house. No, no. Well, I don't want it to. It's on wrinkle mode. It's on wrinkle mode? Yeah, so every 15 minutes, it's going to, uh, it's going to spin. I love that we're on wrinkle So what, it goes against wrinkle mode? I don't know how to. I, I'll be honest with you. I have absolutely no idea how to um, iron a shirt. So whenever my nice shirts need ironing, I have to wash them. It's the only way to get the iron the wrinkles out. You just can't iron, so you pull them out, and they're. I don't have a dryer. I don't. I don't have a dryer. Sorry, I don't have an iron, and I don't have an ironing board. And the whole concept of ironing a shirt is like outside of my range of expertise. Like, because I I like burn shirts. I could burn a hole in a shirt once, and then I'm like, with I'm not I- doing this ever again. With an iron. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's the next show we make. Osha teaches. Yeah. Osha teaches Josh. <laughs> Bachelor skills. Yeah, <laughs> I, I ironed this morning. Oh, I, it's nicely pressed. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that's uh, why I wear t-shirts. But it helped. Well, uh, it helps that I'm wearing a shirt from the only place I buy collared shirts from that aren't dress uh, like tux shirts. Uh, it's a cowboy store in Hunting Hunts, Huntsville, Texas. Really, Cavenders. Yeah. So whenever you need a new shirt, you go to Huntsville, Texas. I online. Oh, I, nice. Yeah, they deliver it to me. It's twenty bucks, man. Twenty nice. bucks, and and anyway. Um, so Wait, was side note. I'm sorry. No. Side note, and probably something you're going to completely cut out. Um, the only my favorite shirt of all time I bought in Sydney when I was d- there doing a trip around the world, um, and I wanted to go see Edward Scissorhands at the um, the theater and uh, the Opera Sydney Opera House, and I didn't have a shirt, and I bought from this company. I think it's called Y something. My, I don't know YD. And like it fits so great, I love it, and I've always wanted to get another one. And I call them like, "Sorry, we don't ship internationally." Uh, I'm like, "Aussies." Oh, I will send it to you. Get <laughs> oh. it shipped to my when I'm back there for Bachelor. Send yeah. it to me, and I'll ship it to you. Oh, absolutely. I, I provide a an, an alternate rerouting package service for many yeah. people in Australia. I don't see why I couldn't do it back the other way. Oh, it'd be the best. That'd be my pleasure. Yeah. So, was it always television for you? Um, no, I actually wanted to do film in the beginning and through college. Um, my cousin's Gene Wilder. And so, you know, you know, he's a great actor. And so I've always... Your cousin? Yeah. Is Gene Wilder. Yeah. Tim from Blazing Saddles. Yeah. The greatest. The Blazing Saddles is, yeah. Probably the greatest role, in my opinion, that he's ever done. I loved Willy Wonka, don't get me wrong. But his timing in Blazing Saddles with Cleavon Little was just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, so what was it like growing up? Like, did you know who he was? Uh, no. To be honest with you, I've only met him a handful of times. Um, you know, it, 
he he's always like when I was growing up, that was like his heyday. So he was always busy running around. He came to Milwaukee a couple times where I saw him. Um, but my uncle Buddy, who I talked to once a week and had dinners all the way out here before he passed away, um, was like read all the scripts for him and did everything. So it was really great, you know, talking to him. He really helped a little bit. So having seen that as a kid, were you like, I want to grow up and do that? Yeah. I was like, I want to do film. I want to write. I want to act, you know. And I thought it would be great. And then I moved out here, and my brother was working for Survivor at the time. And uh, he got me a job working on Pyramid with Donny Osmond. And that was like my first taste of TV. It's a game show. We don't have it in Australia. Yeah, it's a game show. Okay. Um, And from there, you know, I saw TV a little bit, and I kind of forgot about doing film because film is so repetitive. And I think there's only a few people that really hold the creative cards. And what I love so much about TV is you make the show. You know, you're out there and you're producing and a producer in film gets the money, but a producer in TV creates. And I've always been creative and I love telling stories. And so I automatically just switch to TV where every day is different. Every day you're creating. There's no script. The script is in your head and how you build it. And I just love it. It's intoxicating. Did you get a kick driving onto the lot for that pyramid game show? It was so weird. I remember working for my first boss and he wanted a diet Coke. And um, I couldn't, I just moved out here and I went to 7 Eleven and got him a diet Pepsi, like in a cup. Like, here you go. You know, but he really wanted like a 24 pack of Cokes. And he was like, who is this kid? And I was like, I'm sorry. I, what were you like, 18? Uh, I was 20. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know anything. You know, like, I, I was drinking like Malibu pineapples with extra cherries. Like, I didn't know what life was. Like, I was so naive. And um, yeah, that was nuts. So you, you, your first job was like an assistant job, like a go get this, go get that. Yeah. And then one of the producers left and went to Fear Factor and called me and said, hey, um, you know, you want to come over and work for Fear Factor? And this was season four, I believe. And uh, everybody knew what Fear Factor was. And, you know, I came in there and like, we're looking for someone to test challenges. I'm like, awesome. Like I can do that. I can hang from a helicopter. You know, I can slide down the Luxor pyramid. Amazing. And then he's like, he clarified and goes, gross challenges. And I was like, "Eh, okay. You know, like I wanted to get ahead and whatever it took. And so I was like, okay. And I remember the next day, my first job, I was cooking cow eyeballs in the back in this little kitchen, the size of, you know, a bathroom you know, and I'm boiling these cow eyeballs and they're really tough to make because they need to boil for seven minutes to be able to ingest without getting any bacterial infections. And they implode at eight minutes. So you really need to cook about a hundred to get 15 good ones. And so I've got like three pots boiling and the door is shut because everybody in production is producing the show is like right outside of this little closet. And I have to keep the door shut or else it smells and everybody complains. And um, so I'm sitting there like hot boxed in like kawa eyeball steam. And it's awful. And I sit there and I'm thinking like, if this is what it takes to get ahead, great. And um, that was the first day on Fear Factor. What do you like? So as they're setting up, as they're setting up for like, all right, buddy, uh, 
take a bite. Were they shooting? Do they want to see what it looked like when you bit into it? Oh, no. I didn't even know that was my job yet. I just thought I was cooking. And so the next day, you know, we have our little cooler that has skull and crossbones on it. So, you know, the camera guys and the grips don't think that they're grabbing, like, a nice water when they open up the cooler. Everyone knows, like, this is the gross challenge cooler. Stay away. And, you know, I show up. I'm proud. It's day two. It's my first day on set. What are you, 21 by now? Yeah, I'm 21 by now. And we get there, and I remember it so vividly. This challenge is you need to have the cowballs in your mouth, chew them so they explode. They seriously explode, and then the membrane comes out, and then you have to spit it into a cup until you get to a certain line. It's like a half a pint. And then once it's that full, then you have to drink it. Membranes and everything. So, so this is like the world's grossest cherry tomato. I, I get a cherry <laughs> tomato is like heaven on earth compared to like the salty membrane fluid eyeball. And, you know, we had a trim. How big is a cow eyeball? It's like the size of a golf ball. Dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can just see them now. Like they haunt me in my How sleep. How many did you have to chew? So, so we get there. And we test every challenge before we do it with the contestants because we need to know how many eyeballs is it going to take. Um, does the game actually work? And the camera and the director, Rupert, needs to block it. So I didn't know this at the time. You know, I just show up and, you know, I feel great. And um, they're like, all right, who's testing this challenge? And I look behind me like, I don't know who's testing this challenge. And I remember um, the EPs, uh, David Hurwitz and Matt Kunitz, come up and um, they asked me to do it. And I'm like, I don't know. That's okay. Thank you, though. I appreciate the opportunity. And like, we'll give you 100 bucks. And I'm making $450 a week. So 100 bucks is like, hmm, okay. And, but I'm still like, this isn't my bag. And uh, I, I know now, Matt Kunitz goes, listen, if you don't test this challenge, I'm going to have to do it. And I'm 21. I'm like, oh, I can't have the big boss do that. Now I know it's a total bluff. There's no way in the world I don't think he would do that. But uh, I was like, okay. And I did it, and it's the first thing I've ever done, and it was terrible. It was just awful. But I think well, it was probably like 15 or 20 eyeballs that it took to milk into this glass and then drink it and just getting it down. And that was it. The rest is history. So at the end of that day when you called Uncle Buddy, what did you tell him? Well, I called my mom. <laughs> And my dad, and my mom and dad are like, oh, honey, we're so happy you went to college. Like, oh, you have a Big Ten, you know, from University of Madison uh, education. It really looks like it's paying off. What was your degree in? A TV film. And, and there you are on the, on the set of Fear Factor. And it went from there. You've been covered in rats. You've put cockroaches in your mouth. Yeah. You've hung from helicopters. You've been thrown off. All kinds of buildings. Yeah, every now and again, they throw you a bone and let you do the physical challenges because everybody in the office wants to do the, Who doesn't want to do the physical challenges? But, you know, if I did all the gross ones every now and again, you know, they'd bump me for like a cool, a cool challenge, like hanging upside down from these helicopters. And man, that's just so crazy. So how did the... I want to know, like, when you have such fear association with what you're putting in your mouth, how does it affect you, like, just eating through the day? Like, does it mess you up? Well, it all starts in the kitchen. And my mom's a chef, you know, so I grew up eating, like, the nicest stuff. Like, my mom's amazing. And so I would call her and say, Mom, how, um, how long do I cook these uh, bull testicles for? 
She goes, honey, I have absolutely no idea. And um, so it starts there. Cooking, you know, if it's uterus and placenta or actually you can't uh, eat. Here's a little known fact working on fear factor. You can't eat somebody else's placenta. You can eat your own. In fact, it's full of nutrients and vitamins and a lot of people do it. But you can't eat other people's because you're actually eating part of their DNA. And so whatever is in there can affect you as a person. And, you know, you learn that through all of the safety all the safety uh, th- measures that we go through on Fear Factor to make sure you can actually ingest this stuff. So hang on. So are you saying that if someone participates in cannibalism, by ingesting another human's DNA, they f- can alter their own DNA? I'm no scientist. I don't think so. But I'm sa- I'm, if like you have some blood disorder, yeah. right, and I eat that, it's, it's theoretical that you could get it. You know, like, God forbid you have AIDS, right? And I'm eating your placenta. I'm ingesting your genetic, your DNA. And as a man, if I had a placenta, that'd be pretty weird. It'd be very weird, but full of nutrients and vitamins. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So was there anyone, what was the one where you went, okay, that's it. I think I'm done with this. So I remember, so, okay, um. I don't even think I answered your first question. I got sidetracked with the placenta. No, that's all the time. Um, I remember the hundredth episode for Fear Factor was we were eating rats in Times Square, and um, NBC and their standards and practices department didn't think that they should eat these bones because it's a choking hazard. And you know what? They're right. And so, what do we do? Oh, these rats have lots of bones. Oh, Josh will take those bones out. So I remember sitting in the kitchen. You know, we had uh, we had to prepare. What was it? If we had four contestants, so we had to prepare probably twenty rats. And so I had to uh, cut these rats open, and I had to debone them. And while I was deboning them, I was like a mad gross scientist. I'm like, these rats need the hair because if you're eating this, you can get the hair caught in the back of your throat, and that's going to be miserable. So I want to keep the hair on, but I also need to make sure that these rats are safe to eat. You know, we know where they come from. They come from a lab. They're actually better for you than chicken because they've been raised and they know the lineage of all these rats. It's a sterile environment. There's no bacteria. right? And so we know the rats are okay. But still, you don't want to eat raw rat blood. And so... I remember gutting the rats, deboning them, cooking the innards, putting the innards back inside the rat, and then sewing them up and then simmering them a little bit so the blood that's in the hair is going to get cooked, but the hair isn't going to get cooked off. And that was it. And it took about three hours per rat, and I had 20 rats to do. And I think at like the 10th rat, like I'm wearing a gas mask, I've got goggles and gloves. I'm just like, Fuck. (laughs) <laughs> what am I doing with my life? And then when we got out to you know to New York, and Jason Henry um, was working there, he was my boss at the time. He was like, "Eat these things. You have to eat these." And I'm like, first of all, a it took me three hours per rat. I'm not wasting one right now eating it. And B, I don't want to eat this. Like, like I'm broken. Like I have like PTSD. Like I just can't do this stuff anymore. And um, I remember he had a, a New York Times and it was rolled up and he was hitting me with the newspaper. Eat it. 
eat it. I was like, all right, fine. And so like we had to blend it up and it had the perfect concoction where it was like thick porridge, fantastic. Like so I could, it's a milkshake made of rat. Yeah. And I couldn't get through it. Like it was just horrendous. And then we're testing this thing in Times Square in front of, you know, Kunitz and Hurwitz and NBC and the big bosses and they closed down, you know, Times Square. Oh, so all the guys from 30 Rock had come down to check it out, of course. Everyone is watching. Yeah. Everyone is there and I'm eating this thing and I can barely get through it. And I, I haven't thrown up. I haven't thrown up once testing anything. I take pride in that. And I threw up this rat and they're like, this is too gross. You need to, you need to make it a little easier. And um, I was like, you don't understand, like, reality show contestants, these Fear Factor contestants are all, will always outperform you times three. Like, they are balls to the wall crazy. And no matter how hard I do it, I'm not a contestant, and I'm not going to be as hardcore as them. So it was like a battle to keep this thing gross. And um, we ended up watering it down a tad, the uh, porridge concoction to make it a little easier to get through. But it was, it was awful. But that's where I broke <laughs> that was it. That was the moment where I was like thinking like what is happening in my career. So you, you touched on that for a second. What did you learn about reality contestants working on that show? I learned that reality contestants are crazy. They all have really nice boobs and they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Fear Factor casting was the greatest. What goes, what, what goes into it? Uh, you know, when you're casting, when you're casting, what do you look for? Um, well, I wasn't, I didn't cast that show, but, um, when I do shows now that I'm casting, I, personality, somebody that, that isn't bullshitting you, that isn't, cause now I feel like a lot of would be contestants in these shows know what we're looking for, but you know, I feel like I've been doing it long enough where I can kind of, my bullshit meter is pretty high. And so if I can see through that. And they're just like good, outgoing, fun people. If I want to listen, because I'm so jaded, I've been doing this for like 11, 12 years. If I still want to listen to them talk, I feel like that they're good contestants. Right. Was there ever a reality show contestant that you were like, um, you're a little too dangerous? I think we might have to be careful with you. Like any kind no of such un- thing. No such thing. Yeah, no. I mean, for me, like everything that I've done, it, I, more dangerous, the riskier, the better. Like high risk, high reward. I've found, like in my experience doing Idol, um, I know it's necessarily, it's not necessarily true of every contestant. Um, I did seven years on that. And, you know, it's rare that you meet 5,000 people out on the same day all looking for the same thing as we would do on those big casting days. Yeah. And say if I interviewed 100 people in the morning, which is not uncommon, I'd do 100 people in two hours, then we'd have a break and we'd go on, because you never know which one of them is going to be the one standing on yeah. stage in the final. So. If we're interviewed, 100 of them, 98 just had this belief that whatever is wrong with my life now, everything's going to be better once I get on television. Yeah. And that was their driving force. Yeah. And it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible thinking that a TV show is going to save your life. Would you say that's a reason that a lot of people go for it, though? Um, I do. I think now everybody kind of wants a quick fix. Uh-huh. And people have seen the stories and they hear about it, you know, like, you know, these guys that invent an app and overnight they're billionaires. You know, it's so easy to hear the stories that everyone's like, why not me? But people forget, like, these guys that create the apps or whatever it is, they work their ass off behind the scenes to make that happen. 
and I think this all is true with any profession. It's so rare, I think. It's not a lottery ticket. And that's what the two people that you're talking about, those people care about their profession and their voice and their art, and they bet they work every day at it. They're the ones that get into the top 40. Exactly. Those are the ones that get yeah. into the top 40. Um, I'm not, that's not to say that everything can't get better once you get on television. Oh, no. But I, I guess, you know, when I, when I you know, saw some... And I, we never made anyone do anything like happened on Fear Factor, but there was that, that kind of belief that it's all going to be fine. Yeah, and, and maybe it is for some people, but I firmly believe in life and everything... You have to work your ass off to get what you want. No one's going to hand you anything. And you have to just keep working and you, no complaining, no bitching. Just fucking suck it up and do your job the best you can and good things are going to happen to you. Speaking of being a, a contestant on the shows, you were possibly the greatest Price is Right contestant of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I won uh, a game show award. Exactly. Now, if you're, if you're listening to this right now, I want you to go on YouTube and just uh, YouTube, get on YouTube, Josh Silberman, Price is Right. You were old school. Uh, Bob Barker was still, he must have been about, I think, like 87 by the time you got and there. And sharp as attack. Sharp as attack. You hear the long microphone and everything. How, how did you, because I'm fascinated with game shows. I create game shows. I'm really into the uh, culture of them and, and, and the fun of them. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, it came about where I had some friends visiting from Northwestern Chicago, and they're like, can we go uh, check out Price is Right? And, you know, like, you've been living here for, like, 11 years, and you're like, ugh, oh, tourist things, you know? Uh, okay. And we went, and they made shirts, and um, they made a shirt for me, and... I was trying to read it, but you can't see it in the full frame. It said, neuter my student loans. <laughs> and I still had student loans at the time. And this... Um, so this is what you're on Beverly and Fairfax. You're at CBS Television City. Yeah. It's right there in, in West Hollywood. Yep. It's an amazing place. Waiting in line, get there at like five in the morning, and I, they interview you, and they're like, what's your name? Where are you from? And I remember I was like, I'm Josh Silverman. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Packers and Kyle's, land of the free and the cheese and the beer. And um, you know, I made the guy laugh, and then that was it. How long did you be working in television at this point? Um, I just finished probably like five years. Right, so you you had a clue of like, th- I need to be something. Yeah, I mean that, and I feel I'm crazy how it is. Yeah, right. I just need a platform to be crazy, I guess. And um, yeah, and I haven't worked. I I haven't worked at that point. So like, getting on that show is. What do you mean you hadn't worked? I hadn't worked in like three or four months. So you're out here unemployed. I was unemployed. It was uh, after Fear Factor, oh. and um, before Deal or No Deal. And that was like, that was the longest time in my life I haven't worked. And that was like six months. Whoa. And I was like, Oof. it was rough. But anyways. I did, I, did, I did that last year. It was tough, man. Isn't it? It's tough. But you need to be on prices Right in order to pay the bills. That's the only way. So, so oh, you're in the yeah. line. It's five, six in the morning. You've been interviewed. I'm in the line. I'm sitting there. And then I hear my name. And it was like, I don't remember anything else for the rest of the day. Like... I just remember jumping up and down. I was so excited. I was like freaking out. And I get down there and the first, the first lady one-ups me. And, um, you know, I was like, all right, that's how it's going to be down here. Contestant, contestant row, you're going to $1 my bid. And then the next time I $1 somebody else's bid and got on with that clock right over there. That's the clock. That's the clock. That's the clock. That's the clock. It doesn't work anymore, but it's there a keepsake. It is. 
It's the ugliest thing in the world, and the actual retail price is two hundred fifty dollars. Two hundred and fifty dollars. There's two clocks, so it's five hundred each, or five hundred total. I gave the other one to my friend from Chicago that made me go out, come out. So she's got one clock, and I've got the other clock. It's um, and so and then I got on there, and I just knew the actual retail price of everything. And I don't, I had no idea how it happened. It was like. It was the golf game when you're going for the car. Yeah. That was the one. It was like you knew the Hot Pockets, the sunflower seeds. You knew. Yeah. I don't know how Precisely. I knew. Precisely. And Bob was like, come on, this kid, you're making it too easy, kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the audience disagreed with me on the uh, Hot Pockets. I, I just went for it. And then my, I'll tell you my biggest, my biggest regret. When he gave me the microphone that I didn't make a happy Gilmore reference, he was playing golf. It was, it was the perfect opportunity. Say it now. I would. I just really wanted to say the price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> I really, really wanted to, but it's probably for the best. It would ruin my putting karma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so when you win the car, you win the Ford Mustang. Yeah, I you- run over there. I hump it. It's like the best day ever. I run over. I'm doing my famous victory dance. Uh, I was on Jimmy Kimmel doing that famous. Hang on, you won dance. the showcase, bro. Don't oh, get yeah, over yeah. that part. You won the showcase. You there's yeah. an RV there. I was, I spun a dollar on the wheel. I won that thousand bucks. I won a sh- I won the showcase that I should have passed on. Won an RV. What do you do with the showcase? Like it's, it looks like a lot of stuff. Does it all just arrive in one day? So basically, um, it arrives throughout the course of like a month and a half, two months, and you have to pay taxes on it. And I wasn't working. So I needed the money to live and to pay taxes. So I sold everything but the clocks <laughs> and uh, lived for the rest of the year. I think it was like $46,000. You managed to live for the rest of the year. And like having that money, did that allow you the freedom to make better choices about your, where you're going to work? No, I still, I still reached out to everybody I knew and right. until eventually I got the job on uh, Deal or No Deal. Did the Jimmy Kimmel thing help at all? No. No, it but was that would have been, been fun, though. It would have been great, yeah. If someone's like, I'm going to hire this idiot. Uh, but I don't think anybody, at least anybody successful, has decided to hire that idiot from, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, no, I disagree. It was a great yeah. moment. You, you, were, you were like in a time before, uh, what is it, 2006? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2006. Right so YouTube wasn't quite as ubiquitous as it is, as it is now. Yeah. And even then, Kimmel was on to, the, to a meme. He was on to the... The idea of like you should see this thing. Yeah, it was crazy. But there's, I think there's two Josh Silverman's. I think there's like the crazy guy that's on Prices Right and humping Jimmy Kimmel's desk, and then there's the kind that's like deadliest catch, ice road truckers. It's going to Russia. Oh, we're getting to that. Don't yeah, worry, we're like, getting we're getting to that. I'm just trying to lay the groundwork. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like I think there's the crazy one. The well, there's I guess both are crazy, but there's like the crazy one that's like on camera doing stupid things, and the crazy one that's. Um, doing crazy things behind the camera. Yeah. So, I don't- so how, we'll get to Deadliest Catch because there was something like actual, prop, not just, you know, drinking lab rats. You were actually in jeopardy and actual health danger in Deadliest Catch, also in Ice Road Truckers. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But how dangerous is it working on deal or no deal with all those models? Um, you know what? That's the funny thing is every day my dad would be like, so are you dating any of the models yet? I'm like, no, dad. Why not? Because I look like me, Dad. I, I don't know. Um, but that was fun. Working with Howie Mandel is a blast. He's a fantastic guy. And uh, Scott St. John and all those people over there. You know, I met some of my best friends. I'm still friends with now. You know, worked on the show for like three, four years. 
you know, Sean and you know, how do they cover John. the handshake? How does Howie cover the handshaking thing? Does someone tell you beforehand? Oh, fist bumps. Every yeah, you just know. Someone just says, "Don't, don't touch." Yeah, me. and and if you try to shake his hand, he does the he fists it up, and then you just kind of know. Uh huh. Um, but working with the models is tough. Why? Because I'll I'll be honest with you, working with those twenty six hot models was the best thing for my dating life because, you know, back when you're younger, you put like these beautiful women with like huge cleavage like on such a pedestal but after you work with them and you're trying to produce them and move them and have them do things and say things and like create these background packages it becomes work and so now when you know you'd see these like hot models you're like ugh, work <laughs> like it's just like after we're doing it for so long like you just forget that they're women and you just think of them as you know part of your job and that's not to say they're not like super sweet kind caring people because they are but i think you work with anybody for three years you know that's that beautiful you forget that they're that beautiful do you have because uh, i know on the australian prices right i once met the choreographer for the australian prices right the woman that choreographs the models for showing off the stuff like they uh, they had names for it. Like if you're showing off uh, a lawnmower, it's a new lawnmower. <laughs> the girls, they would call it the downward dolly, cross hands and present palms towards. It, really? the, is that deal or no deal or is that price is right? Price is right in Australia. Okay. So they had, they had nicknames for the moves. And I'm wondering, did the girls, did you have a nickname for the move, for the, for the reveals? Yeah, so they had the fake out, you know, where they open up the case a little bit and they look in and then they have the pouty face that, oh... And it's a million dollars. And then they open it. It's like, ha ha, it's a dollar. I fooled you, world. You know, there's the fake out. Um, and then Crystal Monty, number 22, was the best at it because she had like the poutiest little face. And you look at her and you're like, oh. And then like she opened it and it was a low number and everybody was so excited. Um, but the fake out, that was like, that was the go to for her. Would you the direct them? Like, it's a low number. No. Uh, the no girls one, wouldn't know? Nobody has any idea what's in those cases. Um, the cases are randomized by S&P, these lawyers that are, I don't even, you're not even allowed to know their names in like a back room, the doors are locked and security's outside and they're sealed and then the girls line up in the hallway and they physically hand the case to the girls and then people watch them. If any case is opened, stop, game's over, we have to start again because it, you know, it, it ruins the gameplay. Right. So no one had any idea what was in there. The girls only knew once the cases were picked and they peaked. Would the so I'm guessing you never dated any of those girls? No. I dated a backup model for like two weeks. Awesome. Yeah. She was great, but uh, uh I blew that. I don't worry, mate, we all do. <laughs> she got sick and I made her a gift basket of like cold remedies and like cough suppressants and like popsicles and brought them to her door and um i think that scared her it was a little bit too much too soon oh you're being a caring gentleman i thought so but i for me it's like when you know you know for them it's like i know when i know and don't bother me until then ah women yeah so just just quickly backtracking when you were going out when you were working on fear factor did that help at all with with getting dates I was eating cowboy balls and testicles and intestines. Um, I'm positive that that didn't help. And my Batch.com profile, you know, can eat cowboy balls while working. I, no, no one clicked on that. Yeah. There's, yeah. No, there's no mouthwash known to man that can... <laughs> yeah. 
I should have had like a mouthwash sponsor. Possibly. Yeah. My friend Jackie over at Eat Whatever could have helped you out. Yeah, that would have been nice. She's uh, she's she's pretty intense. It's a really great product. I should oh, give you some. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really good. I found leeches like in my shorts pockets that went <laughs> like a few days later, like after I was buried in this like leech bath. And, you know, like the leeches, they get everywhere. And I went home and I did the laundry and like... Three days later, I wore the shorts again, and I was like, what is in this pocket? And it's like four, like, dried-out leeches. And that's the world as a gross stunt tester. That and I found a cockroach in the back of my neck, like, on the way home. Those guys get everywhere. After you'd been laying in a bathtub full of cockroaches. Yeah, I was buried, I was buried in um, cockroaches several times. And uh, I was driving home, like, all in a day's work, and I feel some in the back of my neck, and I scratch the back of my neck, and it's... Uh, and I pick it up, and it hisses at me, and it's a Madagascar hissing cockroach. And you're like, how did you make it all the way from set into my car? And where else have you been? I just felt you in the back of my neck right now. So how did that steal you for when you went to go work on Deadliest Catch? Were you like, I can do anything? So Deadliest Catch for me is a job I wanted to do forever since I was young. Uh, and you know that show, by the time I got there, it's been on, been on for about six years. So I remember watching it, and I was like, this show is amazing. It's insane, and I got to do it. And I set my, my goals. Like, I want to do this show. And season five, they brought me in for an interview, and they said, listen, we'd love to get you on a boat. Uh, we just don't have any boats right now uh, for you. All, all our other producers are coming back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Blah, blah. So the next year, I called again, and I'm Jeff Conroy, who's um, in charge over there at Original, him and Tom Beers, um, I kept calling him all the time. Hey, what's going on? Is there a boat? Is there a boat? And finally, you know, he brought me in for another interview. And this was, I was probably like 24, 25. And I had the interview, and he was like, listen, I'd love to get you on a boat, but you have to grow a beard. Can you grow a beard? And I was like, sure. I don't know, like... I just went through puberty like three years ago. Like, I don't know. Uh, Why was it being a prerequisite? Because I look 19 years old. You do? I'm guessing what, you're 32? I'm 33, yeah. Yeah, you look 19. Yeah, and he's like, you have to grow a beard or these guys are going to rip you apart. And I was like, okay, like I get it. You know, he's just looking out for me. And he also is like, do you get seasick? And I was like, no, you know, like uh, we had a boat growing up, I've you know, been on some cruises, like, no, nah, I don't get seasick, I'm totally fine. And, you know, like LaBelle in Wisconsin, 
or on a big cruise ship, right? I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, but I'm like, I'm fine. So I've got like two months to grow a beard. And it was straggly and messed up. But it was, I thought it was a work of art. <laughs> and uh, I got on a boat. I got on the Cornelia Marie with, uh, you know, Captain Phil. And Hang on a second. Like how... Because you see it on the on the on the map, and they go do 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 do, and then it zooms in. Like, how do you get out there? Like from Los Angeles, how do you get to where the boats are? So we fly from Los Angeles to Seattle, Seattle to Anchorage, and then you're in Anchorage, and then you have to wait for one of the smaller planes. Um, oh man, this excited flying wild Alaska too. I'm living in these bush planes for a year on that show, but anyways, then you take a smaller plane uh, to. Uh, Cold Bay, and then from Cold Bay to Dutch Harbor, and Dutch Harbor has this runway super short, and so all of the guys, you know, have been out for the second season know this, but when you land, you land like with the brakes on, it's like you land and and I was like, oh shit, like and everyone's laughing at me because I'm the greenhorn, like I've never been up here before, and so they're laughing at me, and uh, it's a long. It's like a How early trek. from leaving Los Angeles, how soon from leaving Los Angeles do you get off one of these planes or get on one of these planes and go, this is actually really cold? Oh. Like how early does that start? Um, you don't get out of the airport in Anchorage until you walk to like the small little plane and that's when you realize like it's cold. It's like a different kind of cold and Anchorage is nothing uh, until you get to like Cold Bay or until you get up to... Uh, up to Dutch, then it's cold. But Fairbanks in Alaska is the coldest. And that's where the boats leave from, right? No, Fairbanks no. is Ice Road. We'll get there, Fairbanks. I guess. We'll get there. Okay, we'll get yeah. there. Sorry. Um, no, the boats leave from Dutch Harbor. Okay. And, you know, you look at these boats on TV, and they're completely different than when you see them in real life. Like, when they're sitting on the docks, they're huge. These are huge boats. And you get out there, and these guys, these are like men. You know, I just came from uh, I just came from working with the 26 most beautiful women in the world on Deal or No Deal. No, I'm like with the five ugliest people known to man, like right, um, like smoking. with the five best beards on the <laughs> yeah, planet, right? Yeah, like I'm with like men, and like did they give you a nickname? Yeah, Mouse. <laughs> right away, I was Mouse, and um, they have like crates of cigarettes on board. It's like these guys, these are like these are guys you know and uh i had a sack up from the beginning because you know they really wanted to push me and uh, I, I made a point from the beginning that i was going to earn their respect and uh i was going to be awake whenever they're awake i was going to do what they do you know sometimes i put the camera down and i you know did the grunt work with them because i wanted to prove myself not only to them but to me that i can do it because this is one of the deadliest and toughest jobs in the world. And if I can do it, then I feel like they'd respect me. And I think being on a crab boat, it's all about respect. Because if those guys don't like you, um, you're, you can't work. If they don't want to talk to you, they don't like you, you're fucked. Because uh, I was, you know, um, when you watch Deadliest Catch, and it wasn't until I knew I was coming to interview you, you know, I'm watching Deadliest Catch and I'm like, well, of course there's people standing on the boat filming this. Like, yes, it's cold as shit. Yes, there's ice forming every five seconds. They have to chip it back. But there's a guy out there filming this who's also out there. And the wave's coming over the bow and it's terrifying. Yeah. What was this? What was, like, did you ever think, 
like, oh shit, this is it when you're um, out? No, I'm I I I'm I'm not I'm stupid. I'll be honest with you, I'm dumb. I'm like, no TV producer is gonna die making a show. Why is it gonna start with me? And so I I use that like naive blissfulness, you know, to work. Any and close calls? Yeah, yeah. Um, I there was a big wave that came over and knocked us out, but. I think the biggest was we were going through this huge storm and we had like these 40 foot waves. And um, if you're familiar with waves, there's the green water and then like the white cap, right? The green water was hitting the wheelhouse and was knocking the whole boat over, must have felt like 30 degrees. And then it would come back. And we were heading through these waves. And you can't see anything. It's like you're in warp speed in Star Trek because the snow is just blinding you and it's getting caked onto the glass and you can't see anything until the wave hits, clears all that ice off, and then you can see and you're like, oh shit, and then it's nothing again. And um, Captain Phil came to uh, our bunk and he's like, you guys should sleep with your survival with your survival suits tonight. And that's when I was like, oh shit. Like, this is, I'm guessing this is a thing that you'll be able to survive in the frigid water. It's like uh, a wetsuit. It helps, yeah. yeah. It's like the super thick wetsuit. And, um, you know, the water is at like... it. Like there's ice it forms in the water. It's so cold. And the survival suit will help extend you, your ability to stay in that water. Because without it, I think you die in like four minutes, something like that. Yeah, you get hypothermia. Quicker. It's fast. Yeah. It's fast. Yeah. But how did you go with the seasickness? Oh, God. Um, it was terrible. It was. I was so seasick that they made a whole behind-the-scenes episode based on me being seasick. And uh, I thought I'd be fine up until I threw up before the red buoys. And the red buoys, that's like, that means you're leaving Dutch Harbor. And I threw up before that, and that's when everyone in the boat's like, this kid, I don't know. And usually people throw up, and then they're okay after they throw up or after a day. I threw up every single day, five times a day, I lost like 16 pounds. I look like, you know... That's nearly... That's around eight kilos, nine kilos. That's that's a lot. And there's nothing yeah. of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You could like see my ribs. Like, it was... I was sick. And some guys have to get airlifted out of the boats. Like, they get really bad. Um, I just kept working through it. I'm like, listen, I... This is a dream job. I wanted this job... Since I came out to L.A., I'm not going to give up on it. And I threw up every day. It came to the point where it was like the, a joke. Like I was, sh- I was shooting, you know, the fisherman, and then like I'm going to throw up. And so I hand my camera to Josh Harris, who's on the boat, or Jake or someone else. And then they shoot me throwing up. And then they start asking me questions. Like I ask them every single day, how are you feeling? Why are you still sick? You know, and um, I just kept throwing up. And so whenever we went to offload crab, uh, and get more fuel and fresh water. Um, we had people, um, we call them land crab, that would come in and shoot the boats on land so we could have like a minute off. My minute off was going to the hospital, getting IVs. I had IVs in both arms and acupuncture to see if the acupuncture would help. Um, I had like ginger pills, I had the patch. You know, my mom's like, why don't you just take Dramamine? I'm like, ugh, Dramamine? Like, that's like kindergarten stuff. You know, and I had some other pills, and I had suppositories, which I didn't realize what they were until <laughs> I wonder why they're bullet shaped. Uh-huh. 
I know why now they're yep. bullet shaped. Very effective. No, Not nothing to... worked. Oh well, I just I'm like I've I've seen suppository. Eh, shelving works. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Holy uh, but, moly, oh, man! Yeah. And I probably and of course, like I've I've shot in the ocean out in. Um, I was blessed to cover the Billabong Pro out in Chopu in Tahiti. Awesome. Totally amazing. But just for, I don't know, my cameraman was doing something and I don't know, wave came and I was had my head down and I'm looking in the eyepiece. So I'm sitting in a boat with my head down, looking at the horizon with my head down and I wanted to throw up through my nose within about 14 <laughs> seconds. I can't imagine what it was like. How many were you out there? Five weeks? Six weeks? Oh, no, like two, two months, two Shit. and a half months. And you're looking in the... You're looking through the lens. You're freezing cold. Like, I can't shoot with gloves on, so I can't feel the tips of my fingers. And you're always wet. And you're throwing up everywhere. That's the best part, actually. It's not the best part, but that's a good part. Is You can just throw up on the deck of the boat. It's not like I have to go find the bathroom. You know, I just throw up on the deck, and then it, like, washes off. Right. Or the crabs eat it. Um, someone out there is probably eating a crab that ate my vomit. There you go. Yeah. Crab karma. <laughs> Karma's like, yeah, have, fuck you, human. Yeah. <laughs> so when, you, when you're in those moments, when you're in the, like, it's four in the morning, you've been awake for two days and you're vomiting through your nose, what are you, what are you focused on? Right? What keeps you going? It's um, a good question. I think really what kept me going is a couple things. A, the story is so good. It's intoxicating. I live off of story right you know like that's my job and if the story isn't going right it's the hardest thing in the world to even get out of bed but if you're doing a show that you believe in that's like emmy award winning and just fantastic you can feel it out there and that drives you and gets you out of bed that and the deckmate that i worked with todd stanley would hit me he's like fucking get out there you know like sometimes i'm just lying on the deck of the boat that's the only time i felt okay if I'm lying on the deck of the boat staring straight up at the ceiling, I kind of feel like I become one with the boat and I feel a little centered. Um, but he, and so sometimes I'll just get inside and just lie down. Like the first thing I did is just pass out on the floor. And he would just kick me, be like, get out there. Because um, he was in the wheelhouse and I was, I was on deck. So he really helped motivate me. And that and like, I'm not a quitter. Like I'm not going to give up. I don't care how hard things get. It's just not my style. I've worked too hard to get here, and um, I'm just going to gut my way through it. You so, know it's going to end one day. You just have to make it there. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life on this boat. So when you're working on shows now and you see, like, the 21-year-old version of you grumbling around on the set, do you say, listen, buddy? <laughs> uh, I mean, working ever, si- ever since Deadliest, every show is the easiest show in the world to do. You're right. You know, it's great. It puts it all in perspective. And... Um, you know, when I see those guys out there, that remind me of myself. You want to hire them because you see a little bit of yourself in them. And I want to give them a break. What about the kids that go, oh, it's too hard. Diet Pepsi will do. Oh, I want to punch those kids in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, man, I can't stand those people that just give up. and like, this is hard. I don't know. I'm just going to go home. I've worked my 12 hours. Like, what? No way. Like, nobody works in TV, you know, on these shows. You know, for the money. Nobody does it. Everyone, I mean, no one does it for the money. Everyone does it because they love it. It's a passion. You have to do it. Because it doesn't matter how much you get paid. If you are doing it for the money, you're going to quit. You can't put in the hours. You can't put in the time. And I've sacrificed a lot, you know, to get to here. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So you finished 
deadliest catch. You're like, you know, I'm not quite cold enough. Yeah. I think I might go do ice ride truckers. Do they come to you? Do they like, let's get this legendary vomit kid from... <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, it's for original productions and they're a great production company in the, in the fact that when they see people that work hard for them, they'll keep hiring them. And, you know, I love Conroy for that. Like, he he appreciated, I guess, the effort I put in and so he put me on other shows. And so I was out there doing um, Ice Road and Ice Road's like a different beast. It's... 10 times colder than deadliest you know it you know up there like in a uh, prudhoe bay which is like as far north as you can get uh and still be in america um it's like negative 45 degrees like it was so cold i remember that i was driving in a truck with lisa kelly and uh she crashed into a ditch and uh she kept her cab super hot like 80 degrees and I needed to be dressed to go outside. So, like, I'm just sweating my balls off consistently. Like, I have my shoes off. I have, like, my snow pants off. You know, and I'm just lying with my back against the dash so I can shoot her. She crashed in this ditch. And you'd get out right then because she was pissed. And this is, like, why you drive with these people every single day for seven days a week uh, is to get this story. So, I, like, get out there. I'm just wearing, like, my long underwear and, like, my boots. And it's this cold. And the camera freezes to my hands because... In your hands, you know, you have all these little oils, and at negative 45, they freeze. So the camera's frozen to my hands, and I'm shooting her, like, upset, and I'm like, this is genius, but I can't adjust the camera. Like, I'd put it in auto mode and just, like, hold it because it's, I'm stuck to it um, and just wait for the chase vehicle because we have a chase vehicle that comes with other camera guys. And then once they got there, they picked up the scene. I could run inside and just thaw um, and Melt the, the camera scene. off your hands. Yeah. And I got frostbite. That's the moment I got frostbite. And now, like, it's really sad. Sometimes, like, cold nights in the valley of Los Angeles, my fingers get numb. And I'm like, what happened to me? Like, <laughs> no. But, um, you know, Ice Road Truckers was great. That's the, probably the closest I've ever been to dying is Ice Road Truckers. What happened? So we make it up to Prudhoe Bay, and this huge storm comes in. It is blowing snow. It's a blizzard. I can't see you across the table. I can't see anything. And I'm like, I have to get an establishing shot of the sign that says Dalton Highway in this weather. Because this weather is impacting the entire show. And I'm the only producer that's made it up to Prudhoe Bay. Everyone else is stuck on the road. So if I can get this sign, it's going to tell the story. So I'm going to go do it. And so I walk outside and we're staying in this like, hotel that's like made of like sea containers. Everything in Prudhoe Bay is made of sea containers. And I get to the street. And there's the delineators. And delineators are like the reflectors on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they are. They're already like a few, I don't know, like 100 meters. I don't even know how far away they are. But they're every... Well, basically like when it gets snowed out and there's no snow plows, you're like, this is where the road should be. So if you exactly. drive here, you're not going to fall in a, in a hole. Exactly. So I'm like, okay. I know that I'm standing on firm ground. I can feel the, the, the road. And I can see delineator. And I know that half a mile up is the sign. It's simple, right? You're on foot. I'm on foot. You can't drive. So I'm going to keep the delineators on my left, and I'll walk until I see the sign. I'll shoot it, and then I'll have them on my right and come home. Right? Simple. So I'm walking. La-di-da. And I'm shooting it because I don't know. What else am I going to do? And so I'm shooting like, this is my adventure as I head to the sign. You know, so the post can have fun and make fun of me later. 
and uh, talking post production. Like sometimes when we make these kind of shows, yeah, uh, people sit in edit bays for days. Loggers sit in edit bays for yeah. days. Occasionally, you shout out a message, go, "Hey, Bob. Hey, John. Uh, how you doing? I hope everything's okay. The show looks great so far. Anyway, I hope you like this. Anyway, here's the contestant. Yeah. You, you leave a little note. You leave, yeah. it's like leaving a post-it a note for someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. It's a little that a boy to the guys. And, you know, those guys work hard, too. It's a different kind of hell. And so I lose the delineator that I'm walking towards. And I'm like, shit, I don't know where this thing is. And I look behind me, and that delineator is gone. And I'm guessing the snow's coming down so hard, you can't see a track. Yep. It's blowing, like, 40 miles an hour. Like, I can barely stand up. Like, you know, you're, like, leaning into it. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I'll just keep walking, and I'll see this, this delineator. And now I'm walking, and I, I know that I've walked longer than I should until I've gotten there. And now I don't feel pavement underneath my feet. I feel snow. Uh-uh. And I'm like, I'm just going to go backwards now to that delineator, sit next to it until the storm lines up a bit. I walk back. Nope. No delineator. So you're in a total whiteout. Total whiteout. I see nothing. Um, I, see the, I, I shoot the sign. I finally make it to the sign. You got the shot. I got the shot. And now, but now i got to make it home. And I can't see anything. I'm totally lost. And I'm wandering around for like, and now I'm shooting, I'm shooting myself thinking, tell my family I love them when I get eaten by a fucking bear. So um, I'm like, this is it. Like, I can't see ahead of me. I have the camera like out at arm's length and I can't see the camera. Uh, the wind blows me over. I'm on the ground and I think it, I'm done. I don't know where I am. I, so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to find a place where I can just sit. And I'm just going to huddle, and I'm just going to sit and hide until the storm passes. Um, And as I'm walking, I'm lost, and I'm like, it's over. And I see, like, lights, you know, like police lights. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to walk towards that police light. Turns out that police light was um, was at where we were living. I was only 50 yards away from our hotel the whole time and had no idea. And I finally made it home, and they're like, we were sending a search party out for you. We were like, The cops were there to find you? Yeah, like, they were like... They'd called the cops already. Yeah, they were How like, long were you gone? I, it felt like I was gone for, like, two and a half, three hours. Um, it was probably more like an hour and a half, but, like, those guys know, like, you're working with some of the best, most talented people. Like, they get it. And, uh, oof, that was scary. Was what scary. was their faces like when they saw you? They're, they were all geared up. They had a rope and they were going to have the rope attached to the building and they're just going to like walk having that rope attached so they could, you know, walk the circumference and see if they could find me. And they were all geared up and ready to go find me. Those guys are fantastic. And uh, they're like, oh, thank God you're here. Like they're, they thought I was lost too. Did you leave a hey mom and dad on the video? Um, I have the video somewhere around here. Did you leave the message? Yeah. I was like, yeah. You actually wrote, this is it? I, I'm lost? No, I'm like, well, I was like, hey, you guys, if I don't make it home, like, I love you guys. Whoa. You know, it was, it was, it was probably how I imagine the guy in uh, 72 hours. Yeah. With his arm stock. Yeah. Left a message like that. Like, that's a completely different scenario because. But isn't was, it wild that, you know, we have this perception that these life and death moments occur with a great build-up and they occur with like a, a, a the big swell of the music or whatever it's like oh no it's just a oh oops yep and there you are yeah and out of nowhere you're like suddenly i'm in i'm in really big danger yeah 
It's exactly what it's like. You just don't... I mean, you could argue that I was stupid that I shouldn't have went in that situation in the first place. Um, and I'd probably agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You don't see it coming until you're there. And because you always think you're sort of invincible in a way. And then once you're at a spot where, you know, you're out of your element and you realize you're no longer in control, then that clicks and you're like, oh, shit. What did you like? Because I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. There's a there's a, a great book by a guy called Lawrence Gonzalez called Deep Survival, which is amazing. He really covers off a lot of what happens to our brains in survival situations. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn about particularly working on Deadliest Catch, Ice Road Truckers and Flying Wild Alaska? What did you learn about what happens to your brain when you're in those moments? Um, I'm ha- like... What I've learned is that with me personally, I'm just going to gut through it no matter what. I don't believe it. Like, I don't believe that this is that moment, you know? And so I, it's, a, it's just being naive and it's probably being stupid, but I, don't, I believe this is my moment. I'm just going to keep walking. You know, I'm just going to keep shooting on deck. I'm just going to keep going out there, you know? Um, it's just the way my makeup is. You know, I'm not the kind of person that's going to cry and say, what was me? I'm just going to keep walking. So all this has led you to a place where now you're traveling overseas to be a consultant about how to make this kind of TV. You've just come back from Russia. And I'm going back next week. What? So what's your, what's your job over there? How would you describe your job over there? So um, I was, I'm doing the new season of Killer Karaoke. That's for, a Steve-O. It was Steve-O. Who is it now? Mark McGrath. Oh, Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray? Yeah. Amazing. I love that guy. Um, just finished that. Premiering February 10th on True TV. Not in Australia, um, but oh. sure. No, find that's it on, fine. Find it on the internet. People, people, yeah. people listen to this show in America too. It's fine. <laughs> um, but that's, so I was working on that show and I get an email from Russia. Broken English. And I think it's one of these spam emails that's like, hey, we found a million dollars in Saddam Hussein's backyard. Send us a check and it's yours, right? And I was like, this is a spam. And then part of me was like, you know, I'll respond. And I responded and the email was like, you know, we've seen the shows that you've done. We watched a lot of Discovery. We watched our favorite shows. And then we found that your name was with a lot of the credits. And uh, would you like to come out here and teach us how to make uh, your style of television? And I'm like, sure. You know, I, I finished Killer Karaoke. And I'll go out there and just another, another adventure. And so I get out there. And before I leave, I'm packing up my stuff. And I'm thinking, this is going to go one of two ways. I'm either A, going to get out there and get kidnapped and sold into sex trafficking, which would probably be okay because I'd probably be getting laid more than I am now. <laughs> but probably not by the people that I want to be laid. <laughs> um, or I'm going to go out there and... Have an experience. Um, my brother doesn't want me to go. He's telling me I'm going to get killed. My mother is telling me don't come back with a Russian bride. My friends are telling me come back with a Russian bride, and like everyone's telling me something. And so I'm gonna, you know I'm going to go out there, and I go out there, and you know, um, it's David and Tigran are brothers that hired me to go out there. Tigran is like this like famous uh, Russian director. He's worked in America doing some music videos. Really talented, fantastic uh, guy. And David's his brother and they work together. 
and I get out there and I which, which city are you in? Moscow. Uh-huh. And I get out there and the first day I'm teaching these people how to make this reality TV and there's an elevator seriously fit for like two people that we all like shove into and like it's like old Russia and like the elevator's going up and you hear it clanking and you're like I don't even know if I'm going to survive this elevator ride and you make it up there and everyone's smoking and I watch their shows and you know I help them I teach them what it's like to make our kind of reality TV and they've never done it before and spend a month doing that to deaf ears I, I don't know if anybody's listening I prepared like this binder and this presentation and slideshow and then after that they're like um, let's create a show together and so we created a show. Um, it's uh, for RT, Russia Today, which um, is actually a really great news channel. Um, and it's about their news correspondents. And their news correspondents go throughout the world, and they risk their lives to bring the stories back. And it's not just RT's news correspondents that do this. Everybody does, you know, Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, you know, BBC, um, are sending their correspondents to war zones. And you see them live from Kiev, and they're reporting, but you don't realize what happens when they put the camera down, what happens to them. And so that's what this show is about. You know, we've got somebody that just illegally crossed the border from Syria, and I can say this because they just came back home. Uh, we have somebody that was in Kiev with the riots. We have someone that's traveling around in Siberia. And we have cameramen, shooter producers that I used to be like, now I'm in charge of all these people. That's crazy. Um, out there shooting the show and it's a blast you know we're editing it now and it's going to be something special we try to edit in russia and it was just like the hardest thing in the world like it's like they just don't know what they're like i had to physically be like move this picture over and they're like what do you mean and my accent's terrible um so you're editing here in la yeah so we brought it back to la and uh the show's gonna be something special it's crazy because uh they let me do anything i want which is weird. You usually have to answer to a network here or you have to answer to somebody else here. It's like, here are the keys to the Jeep. Just don't fuck it up. And so it's fantastic. It's a great opportunity and it's really fun to be building a show like this. What What do I need to know about what Russia's like? Because I've seen... All I know about Russia, I learned from dash cam videos and, <laughs> okay. and Reddit. Let me tell you a little about Russia. Um, first of all, everybody that brought me out there is fantastic. Um, but... First of all, the women are beautiful, right? Everybody's wearing like these knee-high fuck-me boots and like skirts and like these awesome like outfits and they're walking around in like their nice leather coats and like, you know, like they're so beautiful. But I realized they only have like four outfits because I brought more clothes with me and I'm not a high-maintenance person because I've seen these outfits like recycled and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. But their four outfits are just amazing. Like all the women are so beautiful. Um, Driving is insane. Like, people are cutting you off. It's, there's, like, no point in having lines on the road there. Like, people are cutting you off and turning left in front of you. Everybody's smoking inside, and restaurants are smoking. You can't get water. Um, you, you have to pay for water, which is weird, uh, well, at least for American standards. Um, you and, can't drink it out of the tap? No. No, and you can't at restaurants either. You can't order water. Like, it's so hard. Some restaurants are, just don't have water. And you're like, water. And they're like, what? And you're like... Like, how do you say, I don't know how to, water, like, I don't know how to explain water. Like, there's no hand signals that are water. Mm. Um, So that's tough. And, like, the food, I'm sorry, Russian friends, the food's just fucking awful. (laughs) 
Like it's terrible. It's like just this like weird meat or like fish and the fish like has its eyes and it's looking at you. And like I know I'm being total double standard because I grew up eating all this stuff on Fear Factor. But now like I'm broken. Like I I told this story to David and Tigran. They took me to like the nicest dinner. Um, and it was just a table full of meat. And I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. I can't eat any of this. Because meat outside of like chicken, like gamey type meat, has the smell of the Fear Factor kitchen. The Fear Factor steam that I've used to cook everything smells like this meat. And I get sick. Like I, I can't. Like PTSD, I can't handle it. And I couldn't eat anything. And they think I'm like the weirdest, weirdest American. But like I'm broken. And so I can't eat any of the meat there. Like I go to Fridays at McDonald's. Like me and uh, Richard, the guy that's out there working, <laughs> I left out there um, to run the show while I come back here and do post. We just went to McDonald's and got like five, six burgers and just kept them in the fridge. Because it's like the only thing to eat. Uh, you know, so that's crazy. And um, their work style is different. Everything's different. It's bizarre, super bizarre over there. But I also think it's a lot like America because um, they're super proud of who they are. You know, I think Americans are really proud of who they are and they're proud of their history. And the Russians are the exact same way. You know, they believe they're the number one superpower and I think Americans feel the same way. So we're very, very similar, um, I think, when it all comes down to it. But I think we're, you know, it's a patriotic country, just like we are. Oh, like... Did you get because there's a lot of talk around with the, the Olympics and and you know you see like community attitudes towards homosexuality and and you know did you get any sense of that at all? So it's funny that you bring that up because I was talking to my gay friends here. You know I live in LA. I've got you know, of mm. course who doesn't have a ton of gay friends and um, they're all like you work in entertainment. It's gonna happen. yeah right. <laughs> And uh, they're all like, you be careful, like, those guys are crazy, you know, they may think you're gay, like, don't smile. Like, I'm, I'm of a crazy personality, right? I smile and laugh, and they're, everyone's like, don't smile, don't make jokes, just, you know, be straight-laced, and I can't do that. And um, I get out there, and I can't help but smile and laugh, it's just who I am, and everybody thinks I'm super weird. Like, I talk to people, like, on the streets, like, hey, how's it going? What, what are you doing? They don't speak English. And so that's turned into my thing, like in elevators. You can make up anything. You know, like I'm in an elevator with this like old woman and I was like, is that what it sounds like when the doves cry? And they're like, <laughs> have no idea. You know, like you just quote random songs and like, or you just talk to them and they're like, crazy Americans. But, um, you know, when I went out there, I met a couple gay people and Honestly, from my perspective as an outsider, I think it's a government thing. Um, I don't think it's a people thing um, in terms of being gay in Moscow and Russia. Um, you know, I'm in Moscow, which is, you know, a pretty progressive city. And the gay people I met were totally cool and, like, open about it. Um, and I think all of the people that I was with that aren't gay supported it. I just think it's a government thing. You know, it's the government speaking for the people. Um, of course, is my opinion. And what do I know? Did you get a sense, because the, the other story is that the whole thing's run by mobsters. Did you get a sense of that? <laughs> you want to hear my mobster story? That's why I asked. So, yeah. So, of course, doesn't have a mobster story. So, I'm in Russia, and uh, I'm very independent. I have a driver that's supposed to drive me everywhere. And, you know, the Russian hosts are like, you have to go everywhere with your driver. And I hate that. 
I hate being dependent on people. And so I joined this gym and uh, I walked to the gym. And then I'm walking back and I use Google Maps. And I don't have data out there because data is crazy expensive. So I take a screen grab of the map that I'm going to take. And the map has this like back way from the gym to, to um, where I'm staying in this flat. And it says 45 minutes. And it was 55 minutes by taking the street. So I'm like, 45 minutes, the back way, fantastic, why not? So I leave the gym and I'm walking home and I think I'm following these blue dots, that's the Google map. And I walk back around the gym, out the back, through like the snow, it's freezing cold and snowing. And I realize soon that I'm not really following the blue dots anymore. I don't really know where I am. Uh, but I think in order to get th- to my flat, because I can see it in the distance, it's like Vegas, you know, or, or when you see a really large building in the distance, you think it's close, but it's not close mm-hmm. at all. And so I'm walking, and there is a security guard and this like you know barricade, and he's standing out there. And I I think I need to walk through there to get out the other side because there's this big ravine that I can't cross. So I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna walk through and I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna do the classic. I belong here, right? Or the classic, I'm American. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll see what happens when I get there. So I'm walking, and I see the guy, and I wave like, hello, comrade, you know, um, which I don't say because I'd get fucking killed, uh, and walk through the gate, and I'm walking. And now all the people seem to disappear except for some unsavory characters. And this whole place is a compound that's surrounded by, like, how I would guess, like, cult members keep their people in, you know, like these, like, really tall green walls that are, like, raggedy barbed wire that's, like, ripped and falling apart and the barbed wire, like, blows in the wind now. And I'm inside. And there's a couple of guys that are sitting that have made, like, a bonfire in the middle of the street. It's not even a street now. It's just, like, this bumpy gravel snow. And they're, you know using this to stay warm, and I walk by, and they're looking at me like, who is this fucking kid? I'm wearing, like, an orange jacket, listening to my iPod, like, smiling. And, like, everyone else wears, like, black and hats, and they're like, we're Russian, and we're going to walk. Burr, burr, burr. And uh, I'm like, hello, hi. <laughs> and uh, top of the morning. And um, I'm walking, and inside, um, the road is surrounded by the sea containers. Inside the sea containers are just people working on cars, and people in the street, like, making bonfires. And um, they told me that the Mercedes G-Class is a mobster car. And you're either a mobster or you're in the government. That's what they drive. That's, like, what my host told me. And so I'm like, okay. So I'm walking, and I keep walking, and uh, there's this big gate and a guard tower, like I'm in jail. And I know I need to get through that gate to get out to safety A, and to get home. So I try to open it, and this guy comes out shouting and rushing at me because I guess I can't just open someone's gate. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get home. You know, paka paka, which means bye-bye. And that and some swears are the only things I know, and I'm not going to swear at this man. And he's yelling at me. So I said, I'm going to walk away. And I walk away, and I'm walking. Right now, I've been walking for about an hour and a half. And I see 30 G-Wagons lined up. I'm probably exaggerating. It's probably more like 25 uh, G-Wagons lined up. Inside is a bunch more G-Wagons being worked on. And I don't know if it's a chop shop. I don't know what's going on. But all I see are like all these black G-Wagons like parked like backwards. 
And then inside, they're being worked on. And uh, they see me. And we make eye contact. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, so I'm just going to start walking like a really good pace. And they start walking after me. And I'm walking. And I slip on ice and land on my back. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And now I just hear them over there just like laughing at me. Uh-huh. And like, now I ass hurts and I'm, I just have to get up and just keep going because I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. So I'm walking and I turn down this back side alley in between these sea containers and then out the other side to this road and then this other car comes up and this car is going backwards and I'm going forwards. So the driver's looking at me as I go forwards and he's going backwards. So it's like, obviously he's there following me. So he's following you in reverse. In reverse. Boy. I don't know where he came from all I know is like he appeared and now I'm like, this is not good. And, um, like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Like, and so I decide, obviously I got to get out of here. So I'm going between sea containers and staying off of these like roads that are wide enough for a car cutting through sea containers until I see like a spot in this fence where like it doesn't hit the ground. Um, and so it must've been for like dogs that come in and out. But I'm like, great, I take my backpack and I push my backpack out um, and I get through to the other side and I'm out of like this compound area. And, but now I'm like in the middle of nowhere and I'm just like trudging through the snow. My iPhone's dead. Um, not like I had data or anything anyways, but it was nice to listen to Dave Matthews Band as I'm walking <laughs> through it, right? And so I'm walking now and I'm walking through like knee-high snow and I like every step is exhausting and there's this ravine. And I can't get through this ravine. It's still flowing water until I see these three sewer pipes that are good, I don't know, two stories up. Um, And they're all clustered together. And I don't have any idea how to cross except for by these sewer pipes. And so I'm like, I got to get home. It's been like two hours, two and a half hours right by now. And so I get up, I climb up onto these sewer pipes. And if I fell, I I don't think I would have died. I would have broken my legs or something. Or just gotten hypothermia. So I'm straddling these uh, sewer pipes. And, like, I have my feet on each side, my hands. And uh, I want to stay on, like, the metal that's putting, connecting them all together. So, like, it's, like, one step with the right foot, two to the left, one step forward left foot, two side steps to the right. Like, trying to stay on this metal beam. And uh, I finally make it across. And then I keep walking. And then I hear, like, kids playing and sledding. And then I finally, I'm like, all right. I made it to safety, but who knows? Like, who knows what could have happened? Why? Yeah. Sounds like you really wanted into the wrong part of town, like the wrongest part of Moscow. Yeah. I get I I wandered into some place I definitely should not have been. Somewhere there's a dash cam of a kid yeah. in orange jacket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this idiot. You're gonna, up on, you're gonna turn up on Live Leak. Yeah. <laughs> um this has been amazing. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to see what happens in Russia. Am I ever going to see this Russian television uh, show? Well, RT's global, which is great. So is the show in English? It's in English. Awesome. Yeah. It's in English. We're editing it now. Um, really excited about it. So we'll see what happens. Because like, I'm always fascinated with like the relationship, particularly between the journalist and the fixer, or the journalist and the local crew, or the, you know, particularly yeah. the fixer. Yeah, the, and, and the relationships the, the fixers have, and are the fixers actually working for the... You know who yeah. the fix is working for. I'll, I'll give you one. Th- I'll give one part of it away. We have one of the correspondences in Kiev, and uh, with these riots, and the police like started charging them, and he was like in the middle of like 
in the middle of it and getting like pushed inside. He got pushed inside this hotel outside. The police officers are like beating on these like protesters and he's like in the middle of it and he's screaming. It's fantastic. And so when that report ends, that's like where we pick up and he's just like, you know, like he puts the camera on. He's like, holy shit, like insane. And that's part I want to see. I love seeing what happens behind the scenes. How so. they get in and out. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be a blast. That's um, really interesting. Yeah. Hopefully that's, I don't mess it up. Mate, I think you'll be. I think it'll be just fine. You had a, you had a bit of a few words of advice earlier in the show um, about this, but I'm just wondering. But like before we get out of here, if there's someone listening to this, they're like, after everything that Josh just said, I still want to work in television. What would you say to them? I would say, if you want to work in television in these adventure shows, you should go for it. If you have the drive and you want to do it, and you're not afraid to make sacrifices, there's absolutely nothing that can stop you. I firmly believe this in in life in general. If you want to be a famous actor or an actress, if you want to run a company, if you want to be the next whatever, just keep working at it and don't listen to anybody but yourself and just work your ass off and you'll get it. I mean, Keanu Reeves is acting, obviously, right? Like, you just have to keep at, keep, keep at it, keep working. Did it ever cross your mind to do anything else? I wanted to be a stripper for a while, <laughs> but, you know, just not that good looking. Come on. No, seriously. Um, no, this is it. This is what I always wanted to do. This and, is it. And you're doing it. This is the life. And I, you know, I couldn't be happier with it. I couldn't be happy for all the friends that have helped me get here. And, um, you know, because I call them friends. Like, I don't have any contacts. I only have friends. I don't want to be friends with someone just for work or something. And so I just try to work my ass off and make them proud for hiring me and Make my parents proud and make myself proud. It's kind of it. It's a secret. Just work your ass off and you'll get anything you want. It's the greatest. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm I gonna appreciate take your, it. I'm going to take your photo. All right. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Well, there he is. That's Josh Silberman. You can find him on Twitter at Josh Silberman, J-O-S-H-S-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N. Tell him you heard him on the show. If you heard anything that resonated with you, let him know. Look, whatever it is this week that you dream of doing, just do what Josh said. The secret, he says. Just work your ass off. You'll get anything you want. He's pretty much living proof that it happens. Um, Thank you so much for being here. I'm really grateful that you are listening because without you, I don't get to make this show and making this show is one of the favorite things I get to do. Um, Please leave me a voicemail for the one-year anniversary show. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your questions for me, Osher, or anything. Really ask me about anything. OsherGinsberg.com, O-S-H-E-R-G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G. It's super simple. Just two clicks on the website. I think if you're using a mobile uh, device there's an app but it's it's not very it's very very easy have a great week have a safe week and um, sleep well sleep really well and just dream of just beautiful things wake up going wow that was great you yeah, had do that <laughs>